And welcome to my live stream. I have so honored to have this platform and to have you join me for these weekly events. Today is a treat of extraordinary proportions. Uh, it's been an interesting uh, journey here. I've known this, this incredible leader for quite a long time. It was probably about two, uh, I don't even want to put a date on it. It's been a long time ago. We did the new gold standard and uh, he was my guru. He at the time was in charge of one of the premier Ritz-Carlton's of the world in San Francisco. I had the good fortune of him hosting me there at that location. It was buttoned up and perfect from a customer experience perspective. He is truly one of the great leaders within the Ritz-Carlton family. We had Horst Schultze on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Horst Schultze, the founder of the modern-day Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, is someone that this particular individual gives some credits to for helping him develop, and quite frankly, he led the brand shortly thereafter. Um, he is also now uh, the general manager of the Beverly Hills Hotel and Bungalows. He's been that for a long time. Uh, he's also the West Coast director for the Dorchester Collection, which uh, is just premium top drawer uh, hotels around the world. Uh, he was named the 2017 Hotelier of the World by Hotels Magazine. And I was so honored to be such a part of his time there. Uh, and then also he, you'll find his thought leadership pieces in the Harvard Business Review, in Forbes, in Fast Company Magazine. His name is there for you, but, but better than just having his name available to you, it's time to meet Ed Mady. Uh, oh my gosh, it's good to see you again, Ed. How are you? <laughs> hey, Joseph. Hey, doctor. Thank you very much for that kind intro. Well, all right. So let's, uh, I'm, I'm going to warn you all, you're going to get a PhD in leadership uh, today uh, because Professor Mady is in the house. You know, even before COVID, there were books like people by, like Michael Smirkanish, who wrote Literally, this little uh, tag here is a section where Michael is talking about the incredible leadership that Ed has had at the Beverly Hills Hotel, the beautiful Pink Lady uh, Hotel, and and how he's really managed a lot of crises over his time in that high-profile property. So suffice it to say, uh, we're going to talk today about crisis leadership, but let's talk about leadership. How, how long have you been in the hotel business, and, and what have you learned? as a leader across that journey? I went to school, um, um, Joseph, for, I actually, I went to school to learn how to cook. I, I wanted, my first job was in the kitchen for five years. And I had a desire to become a, an executive chef. Did that for about five years, got to put around the sous chef level and um, realized that I wanted to enjoy uh, running a business and got into a leadership role and did about a dozen years or so in food and beverage and then jumped uh, fences and then went into the rooms division, a variety of various roles, I suppose, over those two divisions. I think I probably covered maybe 35 different hourly and, and leadership roles. Um, and then I became a general manager um, in the late 80s, uh, working for initially uh, Canadian Pacific, which is now Fairmont. Um, after that was Four Seasons, had a great stint with uh, Leona Helmsley for around five years. Got my green card after I left Canada to uh, go to stateside, New York City. And then um, after Leona, I worked for Horst and Ritz-Carlton. Horst made me a GM in 88. And uh, from there, I've um, enjoyed being a business leader of hotels and right now enjoying um, 
Beverly Hills Hotel and Hotel Bel Air as a regional regional director. I, uh, I'm going to pop me off for a second. I don't know that you'll be. Oh, you're perfectly where you need to be. Uh, who's that? that uh, you're getting name drop people on me. I have I have evidence to prove <laughs> what you say is true. Uh, that's the grand dam of uh, the hotel industry, right? Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Helmsley uh, yeah. probably presented me with one of my first crises when uh, she was indicted. Uh, worked for her for five years. She actually fired me three times and rehired me in the, in the same breath or it was just one of those unusual work experiences. But uh, I see the Yankees, uh, you know, Jersey behind you. So you could have worked for George Steinbrenner and you could have gotten true. a couple times. And, true. You, know, yeah. you, you have to tip your hat to uh, Leona and Harry as they, they, um, they were pioneers, you know, they, Harry, um, um, Leona's husband, he, um, he uh, invented real estate syndication in New York and became extremely wealthy with all of his different partners, um, having, I think, in the end, somewhere around 230 buildings in Manhattan, which also included 50% ownership of the Empire State Building. So she was quite the uh, entrepreneur, enterpriser, and uh, learned a tremendous amount uh, from her. She led by fear, and you had to uh, understand that that was her way. And so that was something that certified me to how to deal with um, crises uh, on a daily basis. You know, one of the things that's amazing about you is because a lot of people would have the scars from that and not necessarily say that they learned things from it. I mean, you've been somebody who, in my time of knowing you and all your mentorship of me, I mean, not always the best examples of leadership can be very powerful examples of leadership. Mm -hmm when you develop your own style, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in, in her particular case, and, and what it is that I, I think was a great thing forward for myself, um, and and it was it was a funny funny scenario as, as I was being interviewed by Horst, and you know, Horst is very gregarious and he's very animated, as you know, for all the years that you've interacted with Horst. And there'd be once in a while that he would, you know, raise his voice a little bit, which was not uncommon, but it was always out of passion. It was never out of, out of malicious intent. And and so I, I used to make fun of Horst because I said he would always come in second in comparison to Leona when it came to her, her animation. And, and again, there's something to be learned from role models that you don't necessarily want to emulate, at least certain qualities of them. You remember what it felt like to be on the other side of it. And it, I think it mm -hmm. empowers you to realize that's not a line most of us can cross, uh, even if it was something that happened in another generation or or you could get away with it. It doesn't mean you should. But let's uh, let's talk about a philosophy of leadership. I mean, are you writing articles uh, for Fast Company, for Harvard Business Review, for Forbes. You really are a thought leader in leadership while simultaneously leading a premium property, mm -hmm. uh, high profile hotel. You understand the industry well. What's your philosophy about leadership? What, what does it mean to lead? Well, when you do a fair bit of reading, clearly you're going to benchmark a tremendous amount. And, and Colin Powell was a, an individual that popped off the page. I, I met Mr. Powell, actually, General uh, Powell, um, um, in New York. And uh, his uh, definition of leadership is the art of accomplishing more than the science of management says is possible. So I've always loved his quote. But you have to break that down into experience and also into evidence. And, and somehow, some way, when you start looking at art and science and leadership, um, you really can't make things up. 
Um, right now, all of us are frankly dealing with this whole COVID scenario and understanding what is going on right now in all of our businesses. Um, we were having um, various meetings uh, this last little while and I was sitting in the quiet of my, my home and I'm trying to make a comparison to what is it that I can compare this particular situation to? So we had around 120 some people on a Zoom call because we were communicating with them on a weekly basis um, in the first several months of the, of the pandemic. And so I, I uh, reflected on a Miracle on the Hudson back in uh, January of 09 when um, the pilot Scully um, leaves LaGuardia, 150 some passengers on board and he um, successfully landed the plane on the Hudson. I'm sure 150 people might be having reflections and nightmares sometimes of the fact that they were in a plane crash, they landed safely, um, and no one died. And in this particular case, if you want to compare this pandemic to what it is that we're dealing with right now, what are you comparing it to? And, and you can't, there's nothing to compare it to. There is no experience that any of us have frankly had in our careers and if there is someone out there that's had this experience, I'd love to speak with you. <laughs> but if you're looking at, at focusing and not getting crazed, you want to be able to stay calm. You want to be able to really not um, um, illustrate that you are, are not in control. So you only want to manage things that are in your control. So right now, this pandemic, of course, it's, it's driving a lot of us goofy because you just can't keep track of this thing. So I, I want to say if... If I'm comparing anything here, I would call it the miracle on the Hudson and how a lot of us are trying to run our businesses, stay afloat and really focus, focus and continue to focus on what it is that is in, the, in your control. You know, when I was writing Stronger Through Adversity, I actually give an example using uh, the miracle on the Hudson there. I think there is one risk that that is in there and I, I kind of try to address it in the book. I think there is a sense that you need to be a hero to be a leader. Um, I, I think that's a, you, you can take that example a little too far, um, you know, I, and I even kind of use a different uh, airplane metaphor of, you know, you have to put your mask on first. There is a need as a leader to mm -hmm. not deny self-care, to mm -hmm. not, you know, give up, you know, you're working 20 hours a day. You better rest. You better eat well. You better exercise. You can't say I got to work 23 hours a day and not do any of the extra stuff. Right. right. So I mean, I, as much as I, I think that's such a great example, I always worry that people sometimes think leaders need to be, you know, self-sacrificing at a degree that can't be sustainable. How do you balance it? I mean, I'm, I've been with you when you walk into the dining room at the Beverly Hills Hotel and every single celebrity in the planet is coming up to you and wants a minute of your time, which I think mm -hmm. kind of is cool and that that almost makes you uh, the celebrity in demand in the room. How do you balance it all? Um, well, I, th I think I think you have to have a method and how you lead your business. And I don't do it alone. You always do it with a team. And if, uh, if a team knows what your rituals are when it comes to creating excellence and customer service and so forth, and I have a method. And, and then that method um, started when when we were with uh, Ritz Carlton and with uh, with Horst and Horst wanted to get the company certified twice with Malcolm Baldrige, 92 and 99. And then that method, that process, that science that I learned 
had five major components and culture was the center of, of, of the, um, the focus when it came to how did I certify myself in, in, in that arena? So of course you want to focus on culture. You want to focus on strategy, leadership team, and, and of course customers. So piecing together a team that understands the philosophy associated with how do you get work done and an effective culture is grounded in having a collective purpose. That collective purpose and a culture is always aligned deeply and rooted in your core values. So that doesn't happen overnight. That happens over time. And you, we all know that talent doesn't equal culture. You, you have to cultivate the talent that you recruit, uh, extract the strength and make sure that everyone understands uh, what are the priorities associated with running a hotel such as the Beverly Hills Hotel. Now, if I were to talk about this hotel just for two seconds, the Beverly Hills Hotel was born in 1912 and the city of Beverly Hills was named after us. Hollywood was built around this hotel. And so this has always been a community asset and has always been part of what represents Hollywood. And of course, Hotel Bel Air, two, two miles away is another example of, of having a lot of Hollywood associated with it. So with, with that in mind, Hollywood has always treated this hotel as their community, commissary, living room. And so that Hollywood feel, you know, you never want to get fooled, okay? <laughs> Most powerful industry on the planet is probably Hollywood. Um, and you need to really understand it. And um, it's tricky on a daily basis, but I enjoy it a tremendous amount. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about talent. You know, we didn't talk about Talent Plus uh, when it, when Horst was on, but there are tools that many institutions that really care about service talent use mm -hmm. uh, to help them evaluate it. Whether it's yeah. Talent Plus or another provider, mm -hmm. you're kind of somebody who as ascribes to the science of talent, right? Like there is a science to understanding who to select. Very much so. And, and with Kimberly Rath and and, um, and and what I've learned with Talent Plus, and that was part of the, the journey when when we were trying to create a brand um, um, of our Ritz-Carlton. So to understand talent is about the potential, which is invisible. But if you frankly want to understand strength, it's about performance that's visible. So how do you take talent, extract the strength, purge everyone together, and build a team. And a team, well, let's define a team. A team is a group of people that make each other look good. So how do you take raw talent that's it's never, frankly, either worked in a hotel or worked in another culture and, and so on, and understanding what your collective purpose is? So tricky. It uh, takes a while. Um, you have to get the right fit because fit is as important as the talent. And then how do you nurture all of that in order to make sure that everyone that's on the team feels valued, has peace of mind, um, uh, and they also feel safe. And you're not necessarily dealing with things that aren't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Every team that you have is gonna have its own peculiar personality. And this is what you wanna be able to ensure that you have a method to work within and you get them all to function with that ritual thinking that creates excellence. So let's talk about a talented team. You've talked some about culture. We'll get into culture here in a second, but let's talk a little bit about what have you had to do to leverage the talent and the culture you have to respond to COVID-19? I mean, what is it that you're doing different in the context of this 
once in your lifetime, hopefully only once in all of our lifetimes experience? Well, you know, I, I, I think of, I think of uh, Wizard of Oz. I think of a story of, of looking at uh, three different main characters of, of that where you can lose your brains and you could certainly lose your courage. But if you lose your heart, um, then you've lost a lot. Keeping heart going has to somehow get everybody um, feeling really good about where you are and what it is you have control over. And um, there's a certain amount that you can, in fact, control but there's also gonna be a tremendous amount that you cannot control. So I think regular communication is very, very important. I believe that uh, whether you're doing your Zoom calls, emails, letters, um, and that sort of um, dialogue, I, that, that's gonna be it. But, but more and more, you have to make sure that you don't find yourself losing heart when it comes to who you are as a team. So let, let's talk about heart. I mean, heart to work together as a team, heart to achieve a certain goal in the context of, I mean, let's be honest, the hotel industry has been just handed a heavy, heavy load on this, has yeah. all travel, right? Mm -hmm. um, so how do you stay heartfelt and optimistic when so much has changed? Maybe 70% down on travel if you look at the industry? Yeah. This didn't start with our team, um, when COVID started, we had a foundation to build on um, long before that. And as you identified with Michael Smirkonish when he was talking about a situation um, in, in, in the book that he wrote, um, you have to live this on a regular basis. Um, I'm, I'm frankly here almost, I'm in my 10th year now. And uh, we have a team that we've had very little turnover. We have a team that has created a tremendous amount of trust amongst each other. And how do you attribute um, this heart? So you have to, on a regular basis, understand what crossing borders means on a, um, when, when you want people to know that they have to make adjustments. You, you need to stay on pitch and not lose the essence of who you are. And uh, more importantly, there's new networking that goes on amongst ourselves that um, is different. So if you look at, the heartbeat of any business in the moment that you have, uh, say, for example, um, a, a major resignation and that person was involved in the fabric of your business, then you have to sort through, well, how do you replace that individual? And you don't. You have to put on a new player, new person that's going to bring a new approach, their approach, but still fit. And so when I have a method and I talk to you about a method um, and it's uh, fairly deep, because you, you violate team, you violate leadership. If you violate strategy, uh, culture, or, or anything to do with the customer, everyone's going to know that you stepped out of line. And so that ritual has to be explained daily. And it's not just built by myself. It's built by a team of people that I have in senior leadership and the executive committee and also managers. And if I'm given the benefit of the doubt, which is probably one of the things that are very, very key, when you're given the benefit of the doubt as a senior leader, then you know that people say, don't worry about it. This is going to work out just fine. And so that intangible, Joseph, is very difficult to describe because you, you have to live it and you have to feel it 
and then once you live it and you feel it, and then people say to you, "Listen, I'm in." And then they, you know, when I when I hear words like "benefit of the doubt," I always assume positive intent, right? Like that's a yeah. key element. Like I'm assuming people are trying to do good. That most yeah. most Americans wake up in the morning and try to make the world a better place. At least that's the assumption I have until you prove yeah. me. Uh, and then I got to give you some. I got to give you some rope to use your judgment. I got to give you some coaching if you stumble and fall. I, but all of that said, if I don't, then I just get a mini version of me, right? I mean, isn't that the, the yeah. factor here? And, and you don't want that. You want people's personalities to jump off the page. You want to be able to give everybody the, the sense of freedom. Uh, they can have their own vulnerabilities, and, and you want to be able to catch them. You, you, you want to have an opportunity that they can script themselves with who they are inside of the team. So if I were a coach and I'm not in the locker room and all the senior players are in the locker room, I'm not there, somebody will take on a lead role. When you have rebels and soldiers and you have cliques and, 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 you, and you have a variety of different things on teams, you need to know how to manage some of that. And that is managed internally by the people that are on the team, not just by myself. You know, one of the uh, greatest honors in my life, I've got, you're not going to be on the screen by my fault, but this is a quick little snapshot. It's a picture of you with uh, Derek Jeter. Yes. Uh, and then it's an article in Hotel Hotel Magazine. I'll yes. remove it so that you're not being blocked out, but it's an article. And then you were, this is one of my happiest moments, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you were talking about the board of directors of your life. Mm -hmm. And the people you had on there were like Derek Jeter and Joe Torre. And then I somehow ended up on your list, which meant that you have a you, you don't know many people. We got to help you get around a little bit more. Ed. Uh, but but I think what was interesting to me was not you know it's the honor of being selected in that that esteemed group. But how many people you have associated with who have led in areas other than the hotel industry uh, and a lot in sport? I mean, I think you're a pretty big sports fan, particularly baseball, and we'll get into that in a bit. But mm -hmm. your leadership wisdom calls from, I think, a lot of different sources, right? It calls from yeah. hotel industry and business and sport. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about how that, how you stay open to learning about leadership from sectors other than your own. Um, I met Joe, I uh, met Joe Torrey, um, 96, um, it could have been 95. Yeah, actually, he was the first one that gave me a baseball, signed baseball to my collection. And over the years, I, I started to enjoy not only a, a relationship with Joe, but a significant um, mentorship. And, and he's introduced me to a lot of different people. I, I sit on board uh, Joe's Safe at Home Foundation board and uh, listen to him often. And you know, whether I'm in New York and we go out to dinner or whether I'm here and he introduced me to Derek, he introduced me to, to, to Tony. And one of the things that Joe shared with me a while back was, you have to keep getting better to stay the same. And how do you keep getting Hold better? Hold on a second. I got that, that one. We got to slow that one down, right? Like you have to keep getting better to stay the same. What, what is the logic behind that? Before well, he won four World Series and he realized that every time that he needed to win, he needed to trade for players that were, in fact, going to continue their level of performance at that most high watermark. And so you got to keep changing it up, you know, just because a player leaves one year and then you want to still chase the, the major prize. And that prize is going to be, of course, to win. Um, and, and how do you keep getting better to say the same? So you want to keep educating. 
you want to, you know, there's a difference between education, training, and learning. Not everyone can do all three. And you start looking at, at different aspects of, of a rage to master or a, or a rage to learn. You've got to be able to dial into the people that are around you that can, in fact, say, hey, I think we can do this just a little bit better if we approach it this way. And then you listen. And so you look for different tools with people that can contribute to who you are as a team. And myself as a coach and myself leading that business, I have to be able to spot that. And intuitively, you have to be able to spot that because not everything's about you. Everything is about the team. Everything's about the individuality, uh, individualized approach that the people take. And you learn that with Talent Plus. You learn that with Gallup Strength Finder. You know, as you talk about these things, uh, you know, I, I remember in the the new gold standard, I actually had a business principle that said, it's not about you. It's kind of like the inverse, you know, the yeah. less you make it about yourself, right. the more you make it about your team, the more successful you become, which is kind of, uh, you know, ironic, I guess, in, in ways. Mm -hmm. I know that for you, the management of crisis has been because you've invested so much in the culture and so much in the team. Mm -hmm. so maybe you can just give us a little bit of a sense of how did your culture help you navigate the challenges of the hotel industry almost imploding over this thing? And then how do you communicate with your team, with your customers, your constituents? How do you keep the right cadence um, so that people pay attention to, to what they need to hear? The first question I think, um, Doc, is to, you have to say to yourself, What's the number one mistake that people make in a crisis? And um, the response or the answer is generally they don't know that they're in one. And if you don't know that you're in a crisis and then, you know, you're going to get on with your life and, and, and like nothing's happened. But um, you have to be able to define the crisis. You want to have to be able to figure out how to survive and then thrive. And so if you if you understand those three simple things of, of what's involved with a crisis, and then you're going to be able to get everybody to agree on let's define what we're dealing with. Now, if you were to look at what we're dealing with right now on the planet, um, um, whether it be health or political or goes on and on and on, all our businesses are, are dealing with trying to figure out what is the government going to do tomorrow and when it comes to changing your food and beverage hours of operation, what are the protocols? So you keep changing and changing. So. The crises we've all been dealing with these last seven months, it just keeps it, it's a moving target. And so you have to keep making sure that you define it to all your people so they understand what's going on at, 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 uh, at work. And then how we want to survive. So, you know, all of a sudden you're adding gloves and then you're adding masks and, and then you're talking six foot separation and making sure that you're looking at all the protocols and those are the new rules. So we've defined it. And now how are we going to survive and get market share? Well, it's going to be very difficult until those airlines are allowed to, you know, start flying again. So define, survive, and thrive. So, all right. So you define, you, you I'm sorry, I missed thrive. I got thrive. Yeah, so you, define, you define, you survive, you thrive. and then thrive. You know, I, I started uh, this recent book, uh, Stronger Through Adversity, by, by uh, quoting probably not a politically correct character uh, mm -hmm. in terms of a former heavyweight boxing champion who's had some uh, challenges of his own. But he said that when, uh, you know, 
that everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. Uh, <laughs> that's Mike Tyson, right? Yeah. yeah and, uh, and I think for some people, they got hit in the mouth and they were just holding on for the round, right? Like they were just, can I make it to the next <laughs> round? Some people were trying to win maybe the fight, uh, keep their legs under them for the fight. But then people like you, I think, are playing for five years from now, right? I mean, you're not just in the COVID-19 crisis. You're positioning your hotel to endure despite anything that could be coming along inclusive of, of pandemics, right? And I, yes, and I, and I think you have to have the experience to define what you're dealing with. And um, when you're looking at experience-based um, management or you're looking at evidence-based management, and, and when Scully landed that plane, it's not like he probably had those, those simulators that he practiced on, but you can't practice on a crash landing. Um, and he had focused on the process. He focused on being calm. He focused on you know keeping those wings level. He focused on keeping that nose a little, a little higher. And he had the flaps open just enough so he could land that land that plane. So when you're looking at having the experience to define the crisis and then have the a plan to be able to survive in it. Once you get to that point, and then you're going to be okay because you're going to sort out how to have the vision to thrive. But it's a long game. It's not a short game. And if someone were to say, um, when is this pandemic going to have a little bit of an airlift? No pun on words. Uh, we're maybe talking, you know, some of the organizations that are talking 11 quarters, which is, you know, pretty huge, huge number. That's three years. So let's not let's not get away from you have to define the situation that you're in and then have everyone around you agree what it is that you're dealing with because they're going to sit at home and say, well, am I getting my paycheck and, and you know, am I safe when I go to the office? There's a lot of, a lot of things that, that surface. So let's, let's get to the other part. I, I gave you a two prong question. I'm really bad at that. Um, I asked you about culture and communication. Like you could cover both those C's in one answer. So let's break them apart and uh, talk about communication. Cause right now I imagine the cadence of your communication changed a bit. Yes. Uh, and maybe even tone. I don't know. I mean, maybe you can give me some sense of how things did change for you from a communication perspective. Well, first of all, you can't shake hands any longer with your people. So, you know, you'll, you'll lose that whole touch and the ability to, you know, do what you've always done because we're such a high touch environment when it comes to the hospitality industry. And um, you then make it somewhat impersonal, but you do the Zoom calls. And you get 100 and some odd leaders on a, on a call. We were doing that every every week uh, for several weeks. Um, you send letters, send emails. Everyone has my cell phone. And anyone can call me at any time. So that's communication with, um, uh, with our people. Excuse me, Joseph. I just need to take a sip of water. First off, I, I, I thought I was going <laughs> to your cell phone so i'm now crushed i just want to <laughs> let you know like the shock of shocks okay go ahead so uh you want to make sure that everyone you know is able to get access to you and you have an availability approachability and then communicating to the guests in the beginning you know we we uh we wanted to at least let them know that we wanted to stay as close to being normal as we could we um uh, i called every guest in, in, in the room on a regular basis and and have done that uh, we created some fun initially by taking pictures of the guests on the on the red carpet just to be able to communicate, 
and just say, hey, we, we, we care for you and we want to be able to ensure that, uh, you know, you see me, I see you. And all the guests have my cell phone as I write their, their cards when they arrive and my cell phone's on my business card. And I identify that in my, my note. If they ever need anything, they can certainly call me at any time. So the communication thing is very, very delicate because everyone wants to be communicated with differently. Some people want to read a letter and not talk on the phone, and others want to just talk on the phone and not read a letter. But if you were to divide your business model into two sections, like a sports team, I suppose, you have offense, you have defense. Offense is all about sales and what it is that you do with your sales team. And obviously the salespeople can't really you know, communicate with, with customers as, as they used to. And then defense, of course, is going to be your operations and how to turn over the product on a regular basis. So for all those salespeople out there, I give you a big hug and uh, tell you not to lose any hope of what it is that's going on. Because what was old will be new again. And, and that is that those relationships, meaningful relationships. You, you cannot ever lose that, whether it be 50 years ago or whether it's today. Meaningful relationships is going to keep us going. So that communication point is very, very important. But also, the meaningful relationships with the people on the team is, is valuable. So everybody wants to have a piece of you as a senior leader. So doing tours and, and uh, throughout the property is always valuable. Um, even when you see an employee now, uh, one of the first things out of my mouth when I'm speaking with them is, how's your family? You know, is everybody safe, everybody healthy? And because everyone knows what it's like, what's going on right now. So it's just difficult to break down communication other than um, being intuitive enough to say, hey, listen, whatever you need, I'm here, I'm available, and you have myself. You know, I wonder if there is anything that you hadn't seen uh, or if there are any surprises that have come from from this. Uh, you seem so inflappable at all times. Well, I imagine that at no moment during the entire crisis did you have a little flutter in your stomach or a little uh, sleep problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can you can let everyone else know that we're all strange and, and you're okay. Well, I, I had an employee Ask me that same very same question, um, and, and he says, "Are you okay?" And and they says, "People like yourself, people forget about you and just want to make sure you're doing good." And um, I'm doing fine. I um, had one significant moment, I suppose, during uh, during this COVID that I couldn't travel. Personal, uh, my mother had passed away, and I couldn't cross the Canadian border to go to her funeral, and. Um, there's several people, of course, that had people. My, my mom just passed away with uh, old age, of course. <coughs> Excuse me. And so uh, that day that I got up, and that was a significant moment for myself uh, when you can't attend your own mother's funeral. And that is, um, I got dressed six o'clock in the morning because of three hour time difference, and um, put on a black suit, white shirt, tie sat there, um, watched it on Zoom, and uh, had to pay my respects. And I still haven't been over the border to visit her. But uh, sooner than not, I will. But I, I think the number one takeaway um, on that particular moment was we all grieve differently. We all react differently under moments of crises, and that was a personal crisis. Uh, but there's always going to be opportunity and danger in any business crises or something else in your life. 
And so I look for the opportunity uh, as much as I can with the people that I have around me to help me through. So people that I work with help me through with my, my grieving um, and other personal friends on my personal board of directors. And so, um, well, I can tell you that, you know, people who are watching like Sylvia are expressing their condolences for your loss. And, you know, I certainly from my family to yours, I, I you. you know, I think no matter how strong you are as a leader, there is stuff going on in your life and you've got to figure out how to cope with it. We are human beings. We do need to have that board of directors. We do need to have those people we can turn to. Yes. You know, one of the other business principles of stronger through adversity is that, you know, we need to leave the island. You know, we need to stop thinking we are some kind of, you know, island person, right? Uh, we need to reach out. Uh, and particularly, I think, when so much is uncertain, it's almost yeah. all the more that we need to, to figure it out. And your title of stronger through adversity, um, you never know how strong you are until strong is the only option you have. Wow. Oh. oh, that just gave me chills. I had to. I had to pop off the screen because I just had a little little shake there. Uh, you don't know how strong you are. Can you state it or now did I put you on the spot? No, no. You don't know how strong you are until strong is the only option that you have. Wow. Well, I couldn't leave the board. I, I couldn't cross over to see mom. But um, um, people will find strength contagious because they recognize that uh, we're all in this together. You know, we have 650 people working here and another 350 at Hotel Bel Air, 1,000 people, 100 some odd leaders, and you have to express what it is. So your book about uh, adversity and strength, you know, strength is defined as what you do well, but uh, true strength is defined as what you do well and enjoy. So how do you extract that from people collectively during these moments and, and have them understand, okay, this will pass. Everything does. And whatever is supposed to happen always does. I don't want to wish this another time in our, in our lifetime. I never would have believed what we're dealing with right now. But other crises that I've been a part of with the team that I'm around have helped me move through it only because they give me the benefit of the doubt. So I have all these people who are writing in now. You are the glue to our establishment, people who work with you. You never know what it's like to work for Ed and you know until you don't. Uh, so it sounds like somebody may have had an experience that worked for you, didn't work for you, and really got an even greater appreciation for what a different thing is. People are saying amen. Uh, we get a lot of heart, uh, heart emojis up here on people who are really appreciative of your insights, Ed. So I just want to make sure you know that as you're speaking, there's a just a, a lot of chatter going on in the comments. Let me um, let me go to the word you used earlier, which was opportunity. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that a lot of people don't think this is an opportunity. Uh, they think this is a curse. Um, but for you, even COVID-19 has been an opportunity in the context of your leadership. I think we just lost Ed. He just fell out of the feed right there. We'll, we'll wait for him to come back. While we're doing that, um, I will share with you just something that I prepared was uh, getting ready for this. This is, uh, you know, Ed mentioned earlier, uh, and again, we did lose him on the stream, so hopefully he'll log back in. Um, when I was getting ready for this, I, I think I got to go to the, this. I don't know which side of the screen I'm going to have to go to because I normally don't hang out on this one. This is Ed getting a signed baseball from the Dalai Lama. 
I uh, I had the good fortune of signing a baseball for Ed, and it's such a weird thing because he's got this collection of amazing people's baseballs. Anyway, just heroically amazing people. And when he hands you a baseball, he's got them always ready, and he ha has you sign them, and he keeps a collection. It's just a, such a cool thing, right? Because no matter who you are, you're this celebrity to him, and he records your relationship with them. And the very act of doing this is such an honor to the person being asked. I have not ever come up with a similar parallel to this. I don't know many people who have a thing that they give to somebody to share a part of themselves and then put it in a safe and special place. Uh, but the, the kinds of people, I mean, there's not a lot of folks you're going to have who are going to have a signed baseball from the Dalai Lama. So uh, there he is. He's back with us. I, I was, I was vamping. Fear not, Ed. You okay. didn't have to worry about me being in trouble. I was sharing how you have created this, this ritual of asking people to sign your baseballs and oh, having yeah. baseballs all over uh, and some of the amazing people. And so I was showing the Dalai Lama's uh, picture there, but uh, I'll take that down and let you finish your thought and we can talk about baseballs if you want. Yeah, sure. Um, since the screen went out on me there, I, I uh, lost my, my place. Uh, well, let's just stay with the baseball thing. Let's just okay, sure. How did that come to be? And what does it mean to you? Because I, I was articulating, I think it's one of the coolest things because it honors the person you're with. It's a record of your relationship. It's, I, I just don't know anybody else who's, who does it like this. Well, let me just, there we go. Um, Joe signed my first baseball. And then from there, I, I, um, I had, I've had an opportunity and been very blessed to meet tons and tons of people. And so um, I just started getting people to sign. It was started with baseball players and then it got into movie stars and then it just got into very prominent, prominent people. Um, the most significant baseballs I have are, are my mom and dad signed baseball. So I have them with, I have 588 of them at home. Um, if I if I were, uh, while I'm speaking with you, I'm, what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna, I'm gonna text you um, a photo, and then if you uh, if you see the photo, and then um, I don't know whether you have an opportunity to. Yeah, I've got it right here. Oh yeah, okay. That's so technology, we'll see the photo. There it is. Okay. Uh, all right. So what number? Let me just make sure I have the right. Yeah, let me get my number out here, right on uh, this. That, you know, I'm not I'm not Ed Mady. <laughs> let me ask you about Justin Bur. I, I just I just sent it to seven one nine. All right, that's good. That's a good thing. So that's. How about Justin Verlander? Is that uh, well? Well, that that was a, a, a that was a, a, an employee engagement story where um, Victor, who works down in the pool, um, decided to play a prank on Justin Verlander because uh, he was uh, in the Cabana Cafe and they just beat the Dodgers uh, when when the Astros beat the Dodgers in uh, in the World Series. And so uh, Victor calls me up on the phone and he says, I think I'm in trouble. And, and I, and this is, why is that? And I says, well, I put a million dollar tip on Justin Verlander's check in the, in the coffee shop and he posted it. <laughs> and so he posted it and said how expensive the food was at the Beverly Hills hotel. And <laughs> it was a, it was a prank. It was a prank because he's been, to the restaurant a handful of times. So Victor had a good rapport with him. And so he didn't expect it to go, you know, viral. And anyhow, I forgave the employee because he was just, you know, 
having fun. But Justin Berlander uh, is a regular in the in, in the hotel, and and, and that went um, on all the various news networks. It went on ESPN. It was really kind of funny. But it's, you know what's interesting to me about that is that a obviously you you have a culture where people can bring themselves to work, where they can play, they can yeah. engage. The you know the the celebrity actually engages back with them playfully. It turns out to be a positive story, even though there's probably a moment or two of oh my god, better get the PR rep on the phone. You're about to <laughs> you're about to get arrested. <laughs> well, you know, obviously you can't make that kind of stuff up, you know. And and um, you know it was it was cute. It was cute. All right, let me let me read this to you. And I, I, I can't quite do all the translations I need right now, but okay. uh, suffice it to say that what the picture is, it's hard to everybody to see. That's just all that wall looks like a bunch of dots. Those are all baseball. Uh, all and baseballs. A huge yeah. wall of like that's five hundred and some odd baseballs right there. Yeah, and I and I I, I have a, a minor complaint to lodge with you. Oh good. I'm okay. So uh, first of all, I'd like to show you which I brought from my home. I, I have I have your baseball. Just a second. We got to make sure it's. Uh, it's I, I I just want you to know I, I'm going to take it out of the case right now. Yeah. And and uh, I'm very appreciative of you signing the baseball, but you know yeah. what? It, it got like blurry. Your yeah. signature. You know, now, so I would like it if you could sign me a new baseball. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I, I was talking about what an honor it is to be asked. Like, you know, my kids don't care about my signature unless it's on a check to their bank account. Right? Uh, but for you to ask for my signature is remarkable. So, so yes, I will. I will sign your baseball. But in return, you have to, this can cost you. You're going to have to help me think of something that's parallel so that I can start carrying on a tradition. I don't want to steal yours exactly. I don't want to base Right. Right. I want you to help me brainstorm a way to make sure that I can honor people like yourself mm -hmm. so that I can get you somehow to be a part of my forever. Um, so we'll think about that. All right. We don't have to solve, solve that now. Let me let me just go with a couple of things that are on the screen. Mr. Mady gives you clarity in your purpose. He gives you strength, a name, and allows you to make mistakes and strengthen who you are. I am the best me because of him i'll even put her on the screen what do you say uh, yeah well how does it feel i mean we're gonna someday all of us aren't going to be in leadership leadership's temporary right our influence mm -hmm. is temporary we're given this privilege of being able to touch people's lives um, what does it mean when somebody says you give them clarity of purpose well pur purpose for all of us, you know, it's a moving target because, you know, <clears throat> the more mature we become, our, our purpose um, might change if if you're going to be an empty nester. Uh, our purpose might change uh, when you want to change jobs. Um, but there are a few things of, 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 of what happens with, with purpose when it comes to your motive and your objectives of what it is that you're personally trying to accomplish. So as long as we have an understanding, and as I had shared with you earlier, an effective culture is, is making sure that you're having a collective purpose as a team. If everyone knows what everyone else's purpose is professionally, and at the same time, personally, there are some people that like to share what their, their objectives are um, um, on a purpose side personally. That's important because that really creates a meaningful relationship between you and others. All right, one last second. We're gonna take one last second. I just wanna put one more quote up here for you. Talent is invisible and potential 
Uh, strength is visible in performance. Thank you for always investing in turning our talents into strengths. We'll leave Allison's comment as the last comment here. You have done that for me. You have taken whatever potential I have that's invisible and helped translate it into a strength. You are a legend. Uh, I am in your corner at any time you need me. You have made the world a better place, Ed Matey. I am honored to know you. Thank you for taking the time today. If you want to learn more about Ed Matey, it's not like we've got a call to action, folks. It's not like go buy five of Ed's books or something. Just connect with him on LinkedIn. Just look up Edward Matey on LinkedIn. You don't need to remember this long old title. Just connect with him on LinkedIn. He'll learn from him with his thought leadership pieces. When he writes a Harvard Business Review article, he'll notify you through the LinkedIn. It's just a fabulous way to grab a piece of 1912 Hollywood, modern day leadership, and something that's going to change your life forever. So thank you, Ed May. With that, I say goodbye. Until next week, we'll be posting a list of amazing people, including in the very near future, we're going to have one of the H2Os, uh, you, H2O is the two Howards and an Orin. That's what started Starbucks. Howard Schultz, Howard Bihar, my guest, and uh, the late Orrin Smith. Those were the three who started Starbucks. So we're going to have Howard Bihar on in an uh, upcoming episode. So thank you all very much. Have thank you very much, Joseph. Thank you. Day. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.